Hello and welcome to this episode of Smarter, a podcast by clinicians for clinicians brought to you by Marta, an Australian leader in healthcare for more than a century. My name's Gillian Whiting. And I'm Catherine Cooper, Clinical Specialty Coordinator for Mothers, Babies and Women's Health at Marta. And we're coming to you from Mianjin, the land on which this podcast is being recorded. Today, we're joined by Dr Emma Patterson, Deputy Director of Obstetrics and Gynaecology at Mater Mothers Hospitals. Emma attended medical school in Dublin, Ireland and moved to Australia in 2005. She completed her specialty training in obstetrics and gynaecology here in Queensland before undertaking further training in advanced laparoscopy. Emma has worked as a specialist at the Mata Mothers Hospital since 2018. She has a passion for education, caring for women with complex pelvic pain and the promotion of enhanced surgical recovery. Today, she's joining us to talk about how to prepare for a preterm birth. Mata. Caring for the community for more than a century. Innovators in health, education and research. Home to world-class clinicians. Facilities. High quality patient. Australia's largest and leading maternity. Discovery. We are Marta. We are Marta. We are Marta. This is Smarter. Emma, welcome to Smarter. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. We'll start at the beginning. What's actually involved in preparing for a preterm birth? That's a great question. And look, I tend to look at it in terms of two different elements of care. The first would be the clinical bundle of sort of therapeutic um, interventions that we might recommend to optimise outcomes for um, babies being born preterm. And the second really is the non-clinical but equally important um, support, holistic counselling aspect of patient care. So let's talk a little bit about the medical prep. So you've got someone, you're expecting a preterm birth. What do we do? Lots of different things we do. Just um, as headliners, we always think about things such as antenatal corticosteroids, magnesium sulfate, antibiotics, tocolysis. So if somebody's in threatened preterm labour, we start to think about those things? We would do, yeah. So corticosteroids, tell us a little, can you tell us about doses? Sure. So um, look, there's really good evidence um, that administration of corticosteroids, so uh, intramuscular injection to mum, um, is uh, really important at reducing the risk of respiratory distress syndrome in babies born preterm. So particularly for babies born less than 34 completed weeks. We'd usually aim for two doses, 24 hours apart. Um, but there are circumstances where we think the birth might be imminent or baby might be delivered before before the 24-hour period is up, you might individualise and decide to um, give the second dose earlier at a 12-hour mark. Um, so do the steroids have any other beneficial effects, Emma? Yeah, excellent question. There's also good evidence that antenatal corticosteroids um, reduce the incidence of uh, necrotizing enteral colitis in uh, preterm babies as well. Been talking about um, the impact, obviously, on baby, but what about, what about mother? What are the important things and what, what are the impacts on her? I think the big one that we worry about is that transient hyperglycemia, so the impact on maternal blood sugar levels, which is particularly important for women who've got pre-existing diabetes, so type 1 and type 2, um, and less so for women with um, gestational diabetes who are treated with insulin. So we'd always um, recommend close glycemic control monitoring. Um, we'd usually um, admit those women, and we may end up needing to put them on a, um, a sliding scale of insulin or an insulin infusion just to achieve optimum glycemic control 
for that short term until their steroid effect has worn off. It's also important to know that um, steroids will um, cause a relative degree of immunosuppression in mum. And so that's important to bear in mind if you've got someone with an active infection um, or someone with a, a latent infection such as TB. So you'd always make a case-by-case decision um, based on the, uh, the individual patient in front of you in the circumstances. Um, I understand that the gestation for giving corticosteroids, we normally don't give them past 34 weeks. Why, why is that? That's uh, quite topical. Um, there's been some large multicenter um, research that's come out really in the last 12 to 18 months that suggests for babies that are given steroids but not actually born preterm, there may be some long-term behavioural neurodevelopmental um, impacts. Um, so important to think about that. We also think about that in terms of re- steroid redosing. So if somebody's had a course of steroids, hasn't delivered, um, and is then, you know, one to two weeks later, still preterm, stay, you know, initial steroids given at 28 weeks, and then they now come in and are going to be delivered or in true preterm labor at, at 30, 31 weeks, do we re-steroid load them? And, and those repeat um, or rescue doses of steroids are now something that we think more carefully about long-term implications than we did, you know, say five years ago. The World Health Organization has identified 10 main recommendations regarding maternal and newborn interventions to help improve the outcomes of preterm birth. For the mother, recommendations relate to the use of antenatal corticosteroids, tocolytics, antibiotics and magnesium sulfate, while for the preterm infant they relate to the use of kangaroo mother care, plastic wraps and oxygen therapy. We've spoken about corticosteroids, but uh, what about antibiotics? What kind of role do they play? So antibiotics are really important for any baby born less than 37 weeks um, in terms of prevention of group B strep or GBS infection. So we'd always recommend um, IV benzoyl penicillin given to mum for any baby being delivered at sub-37 weeks um, or anyone in, in active preterm labour um, at an early gestation. We might also think about additional antibiotics if you have a situation where mum has uh, chorioamnionitis or an infection um, in the uterus. We would usually recommend giving triple antibiotics so you've got a broader spectrum coverage against a broader range of, um, of uh, organisms. Mm-hmm. And obviously we're going to use different antibiotics for different infection sources. Absolutely, Are there yes. any that should be avoided? Well, it's a good question and we would always be guided by therapeutic guidelines um, You know, within our hospital. There are some antibiotics that you might not give a long course of but a single or once-off dose such as gentamicin uh, might be recommended in that situation, say, of um, suspected chorioamnionitis where the benefit of the antibiotic outweighs you know, the theoretical um, impact. Magnesium sulfate is is another um, medical intervention. And, and what situation will we be going down that path? That's really indicated for babies um, at our hospital that are being um, high risk of preterm birth at less than 30 weeks. And we're really talking not about the baby that um, we think might be at increased risk of preterm birth in the next seven days. We're thinking more of the baby that is at high risk of being born within the next 24 to 48 hours. So really those women who have got a planned preterm birth less than 30 weeks or where we know birth is imminent or likely to happen within the next one to two days. Look, sometimes it's hard to predict those situations, um, but in the ideal setting, that's where we would recommend magnesium sulfate. And that's very evidence-based in terms of its um, neuroprotective properties. Um, In other words, it reduces the incidence of cerebral palsy in um, preterm babies. Is there a point where it's too late to administer? 
We do see evidence of benefit um, from about four hours after the low loading dose. So um, if I had a, a lady that was in active preterm labour, we know that sometimes preterm labour can um, progress very rapidly, but you would always try and at least give the loading dose. Situations where we might not delay delivery to give magnesium would be situations where there was maybe ongoing or active maternal hemorrhage or concerns about fetal well-being on a CTG, uh, active chorioamnionitis or infection. Those scenarios, it's always better to deliver the baby um, and give therapies post-birth than to delay delivery. What about redosing of magnesium? If someone mm. you give someone magnesium and they don't have the baby in the next 24 hours, can we redose? This is a bit of an evidence-free zone. <laughs> we um, it's again it's individualized. So generally speaking, if you think about um, the way magnesium works, it's a membrane stabilizer, and it doesn't really stay in the maternal circulation for very long. Unlike steroids, when we know they're going to be in the system for at least a week and beneficial for that time. So look, you know, policies would state. It's a once-off, but, you know, we individualise care always. And I think if you've got a, um, a patient who perhaps had magnesium loading, you know, five or six days ago, and now you know, okay, we are going to deliver this baby within the next four to six hours, you might either reload them rather than giving the full 24 hours again. Um, you might give them a you know, repeat loading dose prior to delivery. Mm. So... Is it appropriate for non-tertiary hospitals to give magnesium sulfate? It's quite resource heavy, isn't it? It is very resource heavy. So in essence, because of the risks of um, side effects and toxicity, um, magnesium is always given in a, um, usually in a birth suite setting um, with one-to-one midwifery care. So look, I think in a scenario where you had a, um, a non-tertiary hospital uh, and the baby was either you know in a situation where we were going to imminently be delivering a, a, a sub-30-weeker because of advanced preterm labour and a lack of ability to safely transfer a mum, we would always recommend and support administration of magnesium. And most non-tertiary hospitals will have protocols for giving magnesium from a maternal point of view. It's a medication that was first actually studied um, and researched because of its benefit in reducing maternal eclamptic seizures. So most non-tertiary settings will have, you know, magnesium protocols. They'll be relatively familiar with administration and the dosing um, and the one-to-one midwifery care is the same whether you're giving it for a maternal or a neonatal fetal indication. So that's something we would always discuss or if we had a, um, a preterm baby that was going to be transferred to us, what we thought it's quite likely this baby might be delivered soon after arriving, we might recommend giving the loading dose um, at the initiating hospital and then we would continue the infusion once they arrived um, at a tertiary unit. Evidence suggests preterm babies born at tertiary facilities have better outcomes than those born at a non-tertiary hospital and later transferred. Best practice recommends mothers at risk of birthing a premature baby are transferred to a tertiary centre antenatally to optimise the outcome. The long-term survival rate for babies born at 28 weeks at a tertiary hospital now sits around 80%. If a baby is being transferred in from a, a rural or remote mm. hospital into our tertiary centre and we want to try and delay labour enough to get magnesium mm. or to get corticosteroids in, could we use tocolysis and what would we use? Yeah, good question. We would and we'd usually discuss that. And in fact, we would use tocolysis um, fairly frequently even at a tertiary centre. So tocolysis really plays a role in um, trying to achieve uterine quiescence or stopping uterine activity. And usually um, the, the idea is to buy time to reach the full steroid effect or in the, the setting where you're trying to transfer um, a patient from a non-tertiary to a tertiary setting. I think tocolysis commonly this day and age is um, nifedipine, which is an oral antihypertensive or calcium channel blocker. It's freely available. Um, 
situations where you might want to think a bit carefully though um, is, uh, you know, there's certain contraindications that you just want to be mindful of. So if you have um, active bleeding or suspected um, placental abruption, if you had an abnormal um, CTG, you, you wouldn't tocalize the uterus, you'd deliver the baby. Again, settings of infection where you wouldn't want to be delaying delivery. Um, and there are a few maternal conditions where you, you might want to just be cautious about administration of nifedipine. So if you had a mum with um, known cardiac failure or aortic stenosis, you know, other complex conditions. So on that, on delaying delivery, what, what does it actually mean for the mother in many situations and do they experience contractions? Mm. So, look, it, um, the idea is it tries to stop contractions, doesn't always work. And so, again, you know, if you had a woman who was in active labour, you probably wouldn't be giving nifedipine, you would be anticipating delivery because it's not really going to stop um, active or advanced labour. It's more for women who are in the early or latent phase of labour um, that you would give it. It's not uncommon for us to give nifedipine and also give analgesia as well if it's needed by mum. And sometimes analgesia and nifedipine together will have a sort of a synergistic effect in sort of um, easing off uterine contractions, making mum more comfortable, whether that's, you know, allowing time for further assessment, transfer to a tertiary unit and so on. And so nifedipine is the first choice. Mm. What are alternatives? I know we used to use salbutamol, for example. Yeah, we tend to avoid that nowadays because it does have um, a number of side effects, um, such as, you know, causes maternal tachycardia, which can then cause a reflex fetal tachycardia, and it's a little bit more involved. Um, so we, nifedipine tends to be the drug of choice for um, long, for sort of intermediate tocolysis. There are medications you can give for um, emergency tocolysis, you know, if you've got a situation of um, tachycystole or sustained uterine contraction, but that's more in the setting of... Um, uh, an active labour, not in the setting of buying time for steroid loading or transferring. I want to switch gears now and talk about that other really important element of preparing for a preterm birth, which is counselling. How important is it and when should it begin? Mm, it, look, it, it's incredibly important. And this is where we really draw on our multidisciplinary team. Um, and look, in an ideal setting, you would have a family who we anticipated preterm birth well ahead of the actual event. And in that setting, we would have time to, you know, have understand what the parents' understanding of the situation was. We'd have time to have neonatology consultations, time for the parents to have a tour of the nursery, just to set expectations, time for them to review written information that we would give them, and then time to circle back and review, answer questions. We all know that Often with preterm birth, um, labour um, is rapidly ensuing and we don't always have, you know, as much time as we would want. And, you know, uh, we're often also caring for women who are in labour um, and who, you know, have not planned for this. And that's also, you know, incredibly overwhelming. Um, and so it's about doing the best you can with the situation in front of you um, and being mindful, particularly of families and women who are in active labour, of not overwhelming them with information and I think in that situation, I would focus more on the initial expectation of what happens immediately after baby's born, you know, um, things that we would recommend for babies being born preterm, making sure they know the neonatal team will be there, if we're going to do delayed cord clamping, have a neo wrap, all those sorts of things, and then talk more about the longer term implications at a time when, you know, after baby was delivered when we had more time things were a little bit calmer and then sort of circling back and look it's always an ongoing um it's always an ongoing dialogue with parents and ongoing support and you know debriefing about 
the events that happened, why the preterm birth happened, the implications that might have for future pregnancies, counselling. These are all important things that happen in a step-by-step process. It doesn't all happen in one conversation. It's a series of conversations that happens with, you know, a number of different, you know, members of our team, with our midwifery um, team members, with our neonatal colleagues with the obstetricians and you know it's a a whole collaborative um, uh, approach with the patient at the centre. I can imagine it would have to be because putting yourself in that position uh, you'd be you know as a a mum in that situation be anxious uh, quite uncomfortable and for you part of your role is to ensure that everybody's understanding and, and calm through that process. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just responding to um, the patient and the family that you have in front of you and, you know, what their past experience and expectations are and just managing that and tailoring that to the individual circumstances, I think. Yeah. I can imagine someone, you know, when someone's really in active, active labour, it's almost an issue with consent, isn't it? Yeah. And that's a whole other topic of conversation, Catherine, but absolutely. And, you know, that's not always the best time to impart a great deal of information. And that's where written information is helpful. And that's where debriefing further conversations after the event, you know, in the days and weeks that follow are really, really important. How much um, input do you have as an obstetrician once the birth is Mm. done? Mostly with a good question. And we are always involved. And um, anybody who's had a complex delivery, be that preterm or otherwise, um, we have um, really clear pathways around ensuring um, mums and families are debriefed before they're discharged. We also have um, uh, pathways where families can come back for postnatal follow up and debriefing, um, you know, at a later time, you know, when sort of things have stabilised a little bit and they've had time to catch their breath, recover from the delivery. um, And and that's a great opportunity to ask questions and and answer questions that families may not have in the moment, but on reflection at a later point in time. We also work closely with our neonatal colleagues. So if you have a family on the nursery who maybe mentioned to the um, midwifery or nursing or neonatal team that they've got questions around the delivery um, or relating to their pregnancy, they can always circle back with us and, you know, we're always happy to go and and have a a one-on-one or a multidisciplinary conversation with families. Shows you the the critical importance of a team that works well, Absolutely, yes. Everyone has a job. Yeah, yeah. And also all of the allied health supports that go into that as well. Emma, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Emma, before you go, we'd just like to introduce you to a little segment called The Checkup. This is fun, I promise you. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds ominous. (laughs) Five quick questions that'll give us more of a picture about you as a person and as a medical practitioner as well. Are you ready to go? All right, fire away. Okay, Emma, if you had a day off today, what would you be doing? Oh, I'd love to be spending it with my two girls. Okay, if a genie could grant you one wish, what would it be? Ooh, mm, to live somewhere by the ocean and be able to go diving every day. (laughs) (laughs) What was your first concert? I'm embarrassed to admit. What is it? It has to be good. Tiffany. It shows my age. (laughs) That's really good. That's really good. What TV show best portrays your profession? Offspring, I think, was quite good. I used to like that back in the day. Yeah, female obstetrician. Yeah, that was quite good. Yeah. Okay, if you had to invite three guests to dinner, who would you be inviting? Ooh, Bob Dylan, um, Dave Grohl, and my dad, because he'd love to meet Bob Dylan. Awesome. <laughs> that sounds very rock and roll. You'd have fun for sure. What an awesome dinner party. Thanks so much again. Thank you so much for having me. For our listeners at home or in the car or having a well-deserved break between patients, thank you for tuning in. 
Please join us for our next episode where we continue exploring preterm births and how to care for a premature baby with Dr. Peter Birch, Director of Neonatology at Modern Mothers Hospital. See you next time on Smarter. Smarter.